This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, welcome everyone. Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio, and another Aftermarket Weekly. It's week 187. You know, our legacy is always to continue to bring you no-nonsense content that you can rely on and enhance your business acumen and your business and personal success. Today, we're talking about education. Golly, you know that's one of my most favorite topics And I've got two educators on here with me. We're coming to you live on tape from the Dorman Training Studios, sometimes called my Carm Cave. Thank you so much to Dorman Training. Automotive technologies of today and tomorrow demand that professional technicians continuously maintain and grow their knowledge and skill sets. If one does not update, they will evaporate. Mastering the changing technologies, adapting new and more efficient testing techniques, and exploring new tooling and equipment applications are just a few challenges. Dorman Training is dedicated to providing the latest information and proven service and repair tips brought to you by some of the nation's best instructors in the company of some of the nation's best technicians. Dorman has been a leader in driving new product solutions for the automotive aftermarket for more than a century. With DormanTrainingCenter.com, we also deliver the technical training and insight Service professionals need to further their careers and stay current. The automotive industry constantly evolves with technical advancements, making it crucial for technicians to stay updated with the latest trends and techniques. By undergoing comprehensive training, aspiring technicians will equip themselves with the necessary skills and knowledge to excel in their field. In addition to personal technical training throughout the United States, Dorman Training Center delivers online training modules covering a wide variety of topics with new resources rolling out regularly. Whatever your role or experience, you can find helpful information on DormanTrainingCenter.com. Dorman Technical Training covers many of today's advanced automotive systems, including hybrid EV, driver assistance, diagnostics, emission, and complex electronics. Created for working service professionals and taught by ASE certified instructors, classes are held as lunch and learns in the evenings and weekends at on-site locations, as well as available on demand. Bring your knowledge to the next level at DormanTrainingLive.com. Hey everyone, with me, I would say friends, Dave Mockholz and Vinny Laverde. Dave is the assistant dean or academic chair at Suffolk Community College part of the State University of New York system. Up here in New York, we call that SUNY, or SUNY, or SUNY, State University of New York. Vinny Laverde is here, the academic chair at Erie Community College, right here in my town, western New York. Hey, Vinny. Good morning. Good to see you. I see you just got done doing, you were an instructor at class. Yeah, we just got out of a service of parts class where we're trying to make it very much like seminar-based. So in our program, it takes place of a internship. So if a student isn't prepared to maybe do an internship or already has job placement, they may choose this in elective in place of that. And so this time around, we chose to run a hybrid model. And that hybrid model is every other week, we have guest speakers. And then between those guest speakers, there's content and curriculum that goes along with the service and parts lessons that we're dealing with at that point in time. But we've hit on a lot of different job areas inside dealerships, independence. Carm, you were one of our first guest speakers with Amton. and Yeah, we were there, Tom and Rachel and Dan and myself. And we put a, Tracy put a little video out on that. I don't know if you had a chance to see it, Vinny. Yeah, it was great. I got up on my soapbox, guys. I, I need to say this. Please, can I say this? That when we were introduced by the instructor, great guy, 
And he says, uh, now you're going to hear from some mom and pops. And <laughs> Dan and Tom and myself, <laughs> we cringed <laughs> when we heard that. And I think it's important, it maybe almost sets the tone here. Listen, this industry that we're so proud of, it's huge, the automotive aftermarket, service aftermarket. We could be perceived as mom and pops. And if you want to go to work for mom and pop, that's great. But 60% of, of our economy is driven by small business in our U.S. economy. So mom and pop, so many of the shops that I know of today, they're not mom and pop. They're really sophisticated, smart going businesses. So I got that off my chest. Here, listen to what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about enrollment. We're going to talk about working with high schools, advisory boards, AAS degrees versus an AOS degree. We're going to talk about career fair. We're going to talk about industry support. We're going to talk about soft skills and why the industry needs to be involved in education. So, Dave, I know that you're doing some training, which and explain to, to us, you were just in New England this week. What are you doing? Yeah, I, I took a little bit of time off from work. I'm helping with some various state projects and EV training and doing quite a bit of that recently. So, yeah, it's just kind of underscores the need for training in general, I suppose. So, guys, EV training, is it in your curriculum yet for the students? Yes and no. And it's a bit of a challenge. We have 1,200 hour programs. I'm pretty sure Vinny's is the same as ours with the MAST certification through ASE. And much of EV curriculum, I would say, is embedded to a certain degree. But there are so many new competencies that are coming down the pipeline uh, that technicians need to know and be aware of, especially when EVs come to scale, that we don't really have room for right now. So I know there's a dialogue going on within the education sector about how do we deal with that? Do we revise ASE? accreditation. There's some European models that are creeping their way into the U.S., such as IMI, where when IMI certification is a little bit different than ASC certification. So I think we're kind of at a crossroads uh, when it comes to EV implementation in community college programs specifically. But then how do you also deal with that at the high school level? So there's a lot of conversations that need to happen and I think are starting to happen. What do you guys think of that IMI thing? It's pretty robust. I have to be honest. It's a very detailed certification. Accreditation and certification in the U.S. is an interesting topic. It's a topic probably unto itself, but it's the U.K.'s approach to addressing some of these challenges. They have a four-level system for certification of electric vehicle technicians. It's fairly detailed. You know, I find it fascinating that we would not want to just say, bring it over. Let's do this thing to separate what's the thing about the the corn from the chafter, whatever that is, you're really trying to say that the people who are going to fix and repair and respect your EV, they've got some certifications behind it. They had to be licensed. They had to be specifically trained, but we're still heading down that highway. Do it yourself, figure it out. I don't hear that there's a lot of electrocution issues going on, but there's still a lot of things that can happen. Yeah, I think it's even beyond just the safety aspect of it is our technicians in the field currently equipped to handle the issues that they're seeing. You think about the fixed right first visit type thing and customer base and and making sure that pairing the vehicle to the standards that the manufacturer suggests you do. I think that's tough because manufacturers are even having a hard time getting enough product to their training centers and enough technology and fitting that into their training regimens. We're going through a a whole curriculum change right now in order to start preparing for the future for the next five years, because quite honestly, our current curriculum in in one of our biggest programs just isn't equipped to, to teach electric. We don't even have hybrid technology as a major course, like as its own course in that curriculum, and we're changing them. So we have a lot of new things coming in the next year or so. Our co-op based models, very manufacturer driven. We rely on some of the co-op portion 
of that model in order to train the technicians or the students and technicians that are at their stores because they, they're working for them at the time. We're utilizing the manufacturer training to do that. We do a, a very general, broad-based alternative fuels course, and, and we obviously we do electronics and things like that, but it's very manu- manufacturer-specific from our standpoint at this point because we have to rely on them. I don't want our audience to sit there and say, what's a co-op program inside of one of the schools? Can you explain it? Yeah, so we have multiple co-ops and a co-op is just for the, the students alternate between us and a facility. So ours happens to be a trimester schedule to make sure that we fit it in for financial aid and New York State Excelsior program that it's eligible and, and compliant, but it, it operates in a trimester. It's about seven and a half weeks with us and then seven and a half weeks at the dealer. And that happens through the entire portion of time that they're with us for two full years. So while they're at the co-op, while they're at the dealership, they're being mentored by one or a specific mentoring team of technicians at that store. And then we go around and check in on them. The students are paid during that time that they're at the store. And that's the time that we usually use also to supplement what we do here at school with their manufacturer's training because they can oversee that portion of it for us. That's pretty much the co-op in a nutshell. How many co-op programs, Dave, do you have at Suffolk? Well, co-op programs. So we have probably, let's see, seven cohorts of 24 students. So we started 168 students this fall. Those students in their spring semester, which starts in January, we do things a, a slightly different than Vinny School in that they will start in January doing approximately a day a week. So they'll do 80 hours this spring in a cooperative experience, and they'll ramp up. The majority of that co-op experience for our students happens over the summer. Uh, between their first and second year. But to Vinny's point, in terms of training and, and manufacturer programs, and I know Erie as well, we've been partnered with eight different OEs over the years. And those programs really, going back to the EV point a little bit too, a lot of the manufacturers are not yet supplying us with vehicles. Tooling somewhat, we have one program, Toyota program, that's probably a little bit curved and they probably have been in terms of hybrids and things like that. But we've yet to see it at the community college level, which goes back sort of to the, how do you prepare students for those experiences if you don't have yet the resources. So, but yeah, the co-op is an amazing program because our students, we try to give them as many skills as we can within the 1200 hour framework of what our programs are. But the reality is when you have 20 or so students in a class, getting them to have all the hands-on experience they can get in a class is just unrealistic. So you do your best that you can as an instructional staff and as a college to prepare them. But our partnerships with industry in terms of the co-ops are vital and making sure that they're ready for work when they leave us. Wow. Did he just say an awful lot? No, number one, lab time, hands-on, getting equipment to work on. God, remember the old days, guys? Remember the old days? There were 50 cars out back, but they were easy. <laughs> People dropped off junkers. <laughs> People brought in family cars to work on. Don't do that anymore, do you? Uh, we do. So like our co-op programs, typically it depends on which one, because we have very specific manufacturer ones, either Mopar Cap or Ford Asset. And then the, the dealership based ones like Wester or Northtown, they're over a, a broad range of brands that those dealers represent or sell. So we focus on a good amount of live work. But as far as the, the hybrid technology and the EV, that's still missing in a lot of those components or a lot of those co-ops. Okay. What does it take to change a curriculum. And I know, Vinny, you're going through it right now. Dave, you, you both smile. Smoke just came out of your ears. And being on Vinny's advisory panel and being on the inside and knowing where he's taking his curriculum and this great school and 
all the hard work that's being done. Dave, no doubt you guys are busting your hump. I guess the words that I'm looking for is what's going out in the real world today, you got to bring inside and you got to speak to the educators with the mighty pen that can sign off on stuff. And you got to write letters and you got to call them up and you got to say, listen, we need this. We want this. And we can't really have this AAS program where English, science and math are included in it because the kids can't pass it. And all that time really needs to be inside the lab. But we also need equipment so that they can work on it. Now, maybe it's a good time to be an educator because we're involved in all this great You know, Dave, you may look back and say, well, 2024 was a watershed year for us of change, change in education. Now, I'm on my little soapbox here, but am I making sense? Oh, for sure. I think a couple things involved, right? If you talk about curricular change, curriculum has always been at colleges a faculty-driven process. However, in career and technical education programs, we have to first go to industry and listen to what industry has to say. So right now, there's a mixed bag in what industry has to say about EV. On one hand, as I mentioned earlier, uh, there are a lot of states and government organizations that are receiving a lot of grant money to electrify fleets. As an example here in New York City, we'll be up to 5,600 EVs by the end of, of this calendar year, the end of 2023 across 59 different garages. So you can imagine what's going on there. So that what we hear from our state and municipal fleet partners might be quite different than what you hear from an independent repair shop, might be quite different than what you hear from a dealer. So our responsibility as programs is to have a robust advisory panel that informs that decision-making so that when we go back to the college and we go back to curriculum committees, how this basically happens is the department meets and says, we need to change our curriculum. That's usually fueled by industry advisory board. We take those proposals to a college curriculum committee or in our case, a campus committee. So there's actually three levels of committees that have to review these proposals. So in that case, we have to have a strong support for adding additional programming. When you add an additional class, it adds additional time that may not be paid for by students, which means you have faculty costs, you have building costs. Uh, logistic cost and associated fees and things like that. So they get looked at, kind of gone over with the fine-tooth comb, which goes back to, and I'm sure Vinny will support this idea, that if you have a strong advisory panel that says you need this, this, and this, then it makes life way easier. In addition, if you have an accrediting body like ASE that's saying, hey, we need this, this, and this in the curriculum, those are things that we can then take back to the curriculum committee and make happen. Yeah, I agree with everything Dave just said. And Carm, being on our advisory council, how much we uh, cherish you guys and that you guys really do a lot of work for us and, and push the ball in the right direction. The beauty part of it, I think, could speak for Dave and his program from what I've understand about it and what I've heard. He seems like he's very like-minded to me. And it's really, honestly, most of the time it's ideas that we want to pull off and do because we're speaking to you guys anyway in industry and we're still engaged with industry you guys just give us the backing that we're correct in those ideas and then help us to fine tweak those. And I love our advisory council because we have people from all walks of life. We have secondary educators in there that are running BOCES programs. We have yourself that's doing this podcast that you get to talk to all of these people throughout the country. You bring us a lot of different information that we wouldn't have thought about or perspectives because of the area that we're in. And maybe we're a little bit slow to that, to some of the EV technology our area, honestly, it probably isn't as popular as it is in Dave's area at this point. So just because we're more rural and it's just a little different setup, but the advisory council really just adds 
another layer of data sets that we can push what we actually know that we need to do. So thank you for going there, both Dave and Vinny, because I talk about it a lot on the show. Get involved with uh, education, be it high school or post-secondary at college. Join the board, stop into the school, say, hey, I own a shop. Can I get involved? They will probably lay out the red carpet for you and put rose petals down because they need you. You may not join the board or you may be able to put an application in, but there's so many other things that industry can do. And I think that's the critical part, not just being on the board, but internships. Can we come and visit your place? Can I come and talk to the students? Do you need any tools? I'm getting some brand new stuff. You got an ADAS thing going on at the school. How cool is that in a couple of weeks? There's a full-blown ADAS dropped off at the school because somebody pulled some kind of string and then you're going to actually have, you're going to show it to the, the students. We've got independence and everybody invited to come in and if you will, play and or watch this. If I was a student right now and I get a chance to see what this ADAS calibration kit tool could do, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm in this most incredible technology industry. Would have never thought. You don't have to have greasy hands in the future, do you? Not really, no. I guess the point that I've heard here in the last few minutes, there's an awful lot of work to move the ball down the 100 yards and score a touchdown. Yeah, our, our procedure is very much like Dave described it. And then we have one more kind of governing layer, if you will, that oversees the CWCC now. So the College-Wide Curriculum Committee is a committee of educators They from all different spots in the college, sometimes financial aid and admissions and, and what have you. They kind of oversee what you're doing and you're bringing them your plan of what you want to change your program to or if you want to start a new program. And now we have uh, the faculty senate that actually has a little bit of a say on it, too, and oversees that and votes on that. So as you know, you've recently authored a very nice letter of uh, recommendation that we move in the direction we're moving. I mean, those types of industry support is just backing up the changes that we want to make just in case there are some people at the college saying, you know, is this really, truly needed? It really helps us a long way with the advisory council. Guys, why does it remind me that there's just so many darn layers and the people that have to be voting on this it'd be like you being voting for somebody in the medical field Vinny. yeah i don't wanna i guess people will die if i don't say yes i mean <laughs> it's like why isn't there just anyway i don't want to get i'll get a call from the state carm you shouldn't have said that <laughs> to Vinny's point too and i we have the same process the faculty senate but then there's two more layers if you do a complete program change that has to go to both suny and it has to go to state ed so you're talking about probably five different bodies that have to look at a major curricular change. And that's a difficult task. And Vinny will tell you, it's usually folks in, in my position and Vinny's position that are ones that are advocating for this change. And whatever we can bring with us in terms of material support, like the letter of support that you just mentioned, advisory minutes, accrediting bodies saying, hey, you need to make these changes to meet the needs of, of students and industry. Those things are vital components to making those successful transitions. So get involved in your local education department. And I think it was you, Vinny, the other day. We had a meeting actually just a few days ago. And I think he says we are the model for advisory boards in the college. I'm actually working with two different programs currently to set up an advisory council. 
and change their curriculum. So their curriculum in one program is being taught out where they're deactivating at some point that program. And they're looking to a model similar to what we do that has internship based or co-op based. They haven't figured that out yet, but don't take my word for it. I'm no industry leader in fitness. So why don't you get an advisory council board together and I can at least help you with the procedures that you need to take And then I can help you with the CWCC end of it of what you need to show and and data and stuff like that. And honestly, one big part for us is our five-year review is another thing that we use for data. And it's, it's a lot of how much retention do you have? Like, where are you losing students? What are your gatekeeper courses? What are your threats to your program? What things do you need? And so we actually take the advisory council minutes and that's part of our, our five-year review and then just looking at student outcomes, quite honestly. And what we were able to show was a huge disparity between multiple programs. And once we were able to show that disparity, where the stopouts were, the courses that they stopped out in, we were able to kind of go, okay, here's our gatekeepers. This is what we have to change and start to modify curriculum. When I took over in January, we did that instantly. And then I did a five-year review and that led to other answers of how do we really fix this? And then the data that you guys provide and it's all of these things together that point to change. And so when do you sleep, Vinny, Dave? That doesn't happen very much. (laughs) You guys seem to be on the clock, 724. Number one, you're passionate about what you do. You care about your students. You care about your instructors. And you realize that you are probably in one of the most cutting edge technology driven careers and it's going to explode. Why do I feel, guys, that in the next two or three years, you guys are going to double your enrollment? Why do I feel that? I I can tell you for us, it's already happening. We started a record number of students this year in our program, 168 back in, we actually just did a 20 year look back. We looked at 2003, we were at, I believe, 109 students program wide. 2013, we're at 169 students program-wide. This year, we started 168 new students in the first year, and we have a total of 269 students in the first and second years of the program. I think that could be attributed to a couple of different things. And it's interesting, Benny, I'm not sure if this is true for you, but here on Long Island, the number of students graduating high school is declining. It's going to continue to decline for some time. However, CTE programs, because a lot of the dialogue on college and COVID and career pathways seem to be doing extraordinarily well. One thing that I've noticed, Carm, and Vinny, maybe you can support this and maybe not yet, I'm not sure. But due to the discussion about the technology on today's vehicles, parents' perceptions are beginning to turn in terms of what they perceive our industry to be. So when I was in high school and I was ready to go to college, oh, really, I was, I was going to not go to college. I was going to become an automotive technician because my grandfather worked for Snap-on for 25 years. And I worked in a gas station at 15 years old, and I thought it was pretty cool. And my boss at the time sat down and said, son, you're not going into this industry. So here I am, right, sometime later. And I'm in the industry, but I, I took a little departure, went to college, went to college for music. And that's a whole other story in itself. That being said, I worked my entire way through school as a technician, but fast forward to today, and what are parents' perceptions of a car? Well, two years ago with Super Bowl, everybody watched every single brand in the world talk about the cutting-edge technology that's in their vehicles. We're reading about modules and electrical engineering and how Bosch, some rumors out there that they've hired over 100,000 electrical engineers worldwide. And you hear these things, and I think parents start to think differently about what it is that their son or daughter is going to encounter in the automotive industry. 
Guys, we're a professional industry. This vehicle of ours is more high tech than we would have. People do not know what's under the covers. All they all they want to know is how much and when is it done. And they have no idea of what it takes. By the way, I got to do a little promotion. I created this poster, Automotive Careers Happen Here. And I'm going to get ready to offer it up as a PDF here on my website. And I want this to appear on every counter at every independent shop in the U.S. And I want people to say, what do you mean automotive careers happen here? Why? Internships, the big picture program. There's so many things. Give me 10 hours. Apprenticing. If we see what's going on, what we hear from our educators, and we see the changes that they're making and the involvement we're getting both at the high school and all the grant money that's coming up and these special centers that are being built because there's money, because as you said earlier, CTE, career technical education, that describes what we knew as kids as shop. And all the shop classes went away, and now I think they're regretting it. Let's move into what it takes to get involved in high school. And I I know both of you are, and you want to see those students come up into your college. What can we as independents also do to get involved with high school? I would say, sorry, Vinny, I think I just uh, took the words out of your mouth, but build relationships. So much of the success that, that we've had as a program at Suffolk County Community College is the fact that I know personally every single automotive high school teacher that sends students to our program. And that takes some years to do. But from an industry perspective, find the school that's near you and seek them out. And if you don't know how to do that, ASE has a directory of schools right on their ASE Education Foundation website. I believe there are 2,700 ASE Education Foundation accredited schools nationwide. There's one in proximity to pretty much anywhere in the United States. But in addition to the ASE accredited schools, so we've also found, and Vinny, you probably have as well, there's quite a few schools that have automotive programs and training that are not ASE Education Foundation accredited, that have also a wealth of students and students that are interested in, in the career path. So I would say it's, it has a large part to do with the relationships you build. We have the same same ideas, Dave. We know everybody at the local area, BOCI centers, both Erie 1 and Erie 2 and uh, Niagara-Orleans. And we also have a big picture program that's right on our campus that they actually, Tom Sorrentino is the first one that introduced me to that uh, Total Automotive. And he was doing the one out of Kenton. He was taking students as an internship-based thing after school. Operation Big Picture will drop the student off at a participating local internship spot. And uh, so we're doing that now. I just gave him a tour the other day for the second time for the Orchard Park one. And we're going to reach out to Kenton for some of our other programming that's closer to them. But we also are, are meeting with 30 to 50 guidance counselors coming up in middle of December. And that's going to be a pretty good meeting. It's, it's basically, we're going to get to present to them the technology in the field and some of our partnerships with industry currently. And just so they know that like student can come to us, work the entire way through their college career and already be placed in a location, whether it be an independent repair facility, a parts store, an automotive dealership, anything in the Buffalo market for all the people that we deal with. So, Hey, I want to stop you for one moment. Thank you for this, Tracy. She's, she put up one of the episodes that we did on Big Picture. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's my son on the right, who's the counselor at the Ready Academy. And of course, Tracy's on the left. And we, we had an incredible, thank you for that, Tracy. We had an incredible time interviewing students at all different levels. It didn't mean that they wanted to go into automotive, but we have followed some of the young students that have been placed at shops 
around Western New York. So thank you guys for getting involved in that. And so, and, and this is so, listen, guys, I want to go on to another topic, and that would be the AAS degree versus the AOS degree. Dave, is your program an AAS or an AOS? I mean, we need to explain to our audience what that means. Sure. Associates of Applied Science would be an AAS, and an AOS would be Associates of Occupational Studies or Occupational Science, depending on who's naming it. The difference between the two degrees is typically in an AAS You have, let's say, as an example, 64 credits in the SUNY system as a cap, 41 of our credits, or maybe more, maybe 42 automotive specific. The remainder are going to be math, science, and SUNY uh, general ed requirements, as opposed to an AOS. The language in New York State actually says there is not to be general education unless it's supported by the industry or the intent of training folks for a specific role. So Suffolk Community College historically has not had any AOS programs. We've been traditionally AAS, but there's some reason that you might want to be AOS versus AAS in that as we expand programming, especially in like the area of EVs and advanced technology, you know, Vinny mentioned ADOS, Where do you fit that in a curriculum when you already have 1,200 hours of programming and industry comes in and says, here you go, guys, teach this. And oh, by the way, it's it's different on every single manufacturer. There's commonalities, but need different tooling, different equipment, different vehicles to show these students. And you think about that in, in the framework of time, we don't have time to do it in an AAS degree. So we either have to eliminate something along the lines of, let's say, manual transmissions or engine performance to a certain extent, but we're not ready to do that yet. We still have manual transmission cars. We have obviously drivetrains that are still in these electric vehicles. Engines are going to be around for quite a long time. Still 90% of the vehicles that are on the road and manufactured today have an internal combustion engine. So you can't discontinue that training. So, you know, I'll let Vinny speak a little bit to an AOS, but the, I think the benefit there, as Vinny will probably tell you, is, is the fact that you can put more technical content into a two-year program of study. I totally agree with Dave. He hit the nail on the head. So we have always been in what we call our general program. And Karen, we've discussed this. I kind of think it's a dirty word, but uh, now we're going to call it something else. It's going to be ATP, the ATP Automotive Technology Program. And it's always been called that, but we refer to it in-house as general that's always been an AAS degree. Our AAS is, is grandfathered in at 67 credits and 20 of those credits are gen eds. So uh, English, math, science and electives. They have to take a one math course, two English courses, basics, physics, lecture and lab, and then two electives of their choice. So like Dave said, where do you pull away from in the automotive curriculum that you can start to offer more hybrid technology, electric vehicle, ADOS, and even just quite honestly, just body electrical systems. There's so many more options on vehicles than ever and modules and communication issues and and service programming and all these things to, to cover that you can't start pulling away from tires, brakes, steering, suspension, alignments, maintenance. It's all still there. So We still have to teach basic electrical and and we have to even better foundational skill set going into those other courses than ever before. So we've chosen recently that we're starting to make that move or that transition towards an AOS. And the reason being is our AOS model currently, we have, we already have an AOS co-op model and we're seeing such high results in that. Erie Community College, SUNY Erie just posted a article recently that around 22%, I think it was of our students receive a two-year degree in three years. 
And that to me, that's a staggering number because, and that's not just automotive, that's throughout the college, but a two-year degree in three years, that means they're taking remedials and things to get to the the college bearing math and English. And then they have to take their sciences and things on that afterwards. So that is holding a lot of people back, I think, from being an industry at um, sometimes. And our co-op models have just shown kind of the proof that we need to move that way because they're 85 to 95% completion in two years with job placement the whole way through. We see that as being the bigger success. And one of the the things that we've identified is the stopouts or the retention issues that we have typically are in our first semester where we're offering introductory math course and English course and an elective. And honestly, those two courses, math and English, and then physics later on, that usually are the gatekeepers for probably 90% of our students. Dave, the challenge that you have, are have you had an inkling or a start of considering that your program should move to AOS? Yeah. And I think Vinny will probably tell you it's a, it's a delicate balancing act too, because when you talk about an automotive technician, if you think about today's technician and the skill sets and the competencies they need to have, it does go somewhat beyond just the ability to diagnose a car. Think about repair order write-up and how complex some of these repair order write-ups are going to be. So it, you're balancing, all right, take some of that coursework away, right, that might support, and we're talking a little bit about soft skills today, that might support the student's ability to comprehend really well what they're reading when they're fixing a complex problem, but also write about it. So I think there's something to be said for as we transition to AOS programs. And I think this is probably, and Vinny, correct me if I'm wrong, but where we have our eyes on is, is not eliminating necessarily academic coursework, but trying to pair academic coursework that makes sense for the student in alignment with what they do. So one of the things that we've done within the AAS CARM is we looked at math and we went to the math department and we said, guys, our students don't see the need for advanced level algebra. What can we do to take the mathematical concepts that they need to get through those learning outcomes and align it? Literally, the math department wrote a 250-page PDF manual for us on the input that we gave them, and they include things like machining an engine block and figuring out through algebra what that looks like, looking at resistors, looking at Ohm's law, taking a lot of the applied concepts that we wanted them to take and, and making math about that. We've seen the success rate and the enrollment rate in that class, even within the AAS degree, go way up. To Dave's point, we're doing a couple of different things just to make sure that balance is correct. And I am worried about that. That was a a very big concern of mine. We're looking at transcripts coming in of students of where they are, college math and English readiness, first off, and then students that may be behind the curve or an EAL student that speaks another language as their first language. We're trying to identify those individuals and putting them through a pathways program that makes sure they're at least at high functioning high school level before they're coming into the program. We also have to make sure that we show the assessment data that we are actually assessing those math and English skills throughout our curriculum. So like Dave said, like a lot of things like, you know, automotive measurement, Ohm's law and and using formulas and Pascal's law and all those things that's embedded throughout our curriculum. And we have to show that we assess those items as well. Dave, I'm sure, has to start to deal with or starting to think about how he's going to deal with some new regulations that are coming up this fall. And we have to make sure that we're showing diversity and inclusion in all of our curriculum as well. And so we've already started to identify that topic area or that curriculum where we're going to add that. And it already exists, honestly, in in what we do because we do an intro to auto course 
that talks about a lot of different backgrounds and people that you would be dealing with and, and things of that nature. And it's also included in our co-op. So it's even every year we have to find a spot to possibly add some other things that may be required of us by state at or SUNY. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for this discussion on AAS versus AOS and finding more lab time and or less basic educational gen ed skills. I can't help but think, guys, that in an AOS program, you may be able to change the curriculum a bit, like your intro classes or your parts and service classes, and have what we would call, and I'm just brainstorming here, this well-rounded listening, speaking, writing, critical thinking, flexibility, problem-solving, confidence, integrity, networking, dedication, being dependable, multitasking. Those are kind of soft skills. There's only just a handful of soft skills that matter when this individual goes out into the career. But my message to the industry is you can't expect them to be have this basic core automotive knowledge and be so well-rounded with all their soft skills. You got to step to the plate and help these young people, it doesn't matter what age they are, but the graduates to lift them up on a personal level too. And that's a daily thing with us, quite honestly. Like I'm sure Dave would agree, like especially for our co-op models, because it's a smaller cohort that I may see for an entire year, you start to figure out people really fast in the first week or two. And you are trying to mold these students into what industry needs. And honestly, it's it's not even just what the auto industry needs. It's what they need to be an employable functioning individual in society because they don't all have it coming in. And some of the things that we take for granted that we just know, they don't all know. So it's a case-by-case scenario. And I think if we don't work on it daily, we don't achieve that objective of making employable individuals. Carm, to Vinny's point, when you meet with the students, you, you know relatively quickly where they're at with soft skills. So two years ago, for our enrollment cycle for Toyota T10, we piloted the idea of pre-advisement for every student that was coming into the program. And historically, we've done information sessions, we've done open houses, we've done as much to try to push information out to students to make a decision, but we never really had them talk to us about what they wanted to do. So that being said, we met with every T10 applicant two years ago, enrollment cycle, or really last academic year, but two, two cycles ago. In meeting with them, really started to see relatively quickly who wanted to do this, why they wanted to do it. Could they speak to you? Could they keep an appointment? Could they answer an email? And in a lot of instances, we contacted to just come in for an appointment and they'd miss it and they wouldn't reschedule. And then two weeks later, you'd hear from them. So what we found was we knew relatively quickly who had soft skills and who didn't before they came into the program. Interesting aside to that was that we've struggled with retention programmatically and as a college historically. It's built into the model of the community college system. So whatnot, we had 24 students start the Toyota T10 program last year. 22 remain this fall, which is just an incredible number. So this last enrollment cycle, we said, let's expand that. Let's look at our T10 program, our Honda Pact program, and our GM ASAP program, which are our three programs, like Vinny mentioned, CAP and ASSET at Erie. And we did the same thing with those programs. And remarkably, the instructors have already said to me, not even the full way through the semester, there is a huge difference in what we're seeing. And it's that we've kind of set the tone as a program before they even come in. You're going to have to be able to speak to us. You're going to have to answer an email. You're going to have to be responsible. And we've communicated that to their instructors and their instructors have now trained them 
when you hear back from Suffolk County Community College, call them back right away. We've got a little bit of an advantage in terms of our population density and the proximity to a lot of different schools in terms of geographically being in a metropolitan area. We have a million people in, in our county alone, a little over that. Uh, so we get about 400 applicants. So we've been to, able to essentially set the bar to a, to a level where we can say, you're going to have to even up your skills game before you come in. And then from there, we have a program that we implemented with one of our professors, Teresa Noto, who was a 30-year Mercedes-Benz service director. And she came in and she's teaching for us. And we run a portfolio class, which is every semester. It's a half a credit. So literally, it's 20 minutes a week. How are things going at work? How are things going with certifications? Do you have a resume? And we prepare students for actually this coming month, December 13th, we have a career fair. We've done our best to try to build a soft skills program into even our recruiting efforts. And from the day they start with us, building that up and ramping that up. So when they finally do get out into their co-op experience, they can hit the ground running and have hopefully a higher level of success. Great news. You're carrying the soft skills challenge up there at uh, Erie. The big challenge for us is this is my time that my students go out. They went out three weeks ago. I follow them on that co-op journey and make sure that you know I visit all the stores that they're in. And I typically, for the first few weeks, I'm in every location probably twice a week. And I've come to known to know our mentors really well and think of them as friends now. So I'm always like kind of holding my breath when I'm walking up behind them, like, what are they going to give me? All right. Like, how are they doing? And you got to kind of like take a pause. They're like, oh, they're great. So it's nice hearing that, but it's because we know where they came in and we have about seven and a half weeks to turn that tide to make sure that for one, first and foremost, obviously that they're safe and that they're operating inside of a facility safely. And then the other thing is, too, you, you don't want them to wear people out. So they have to have those soft skills that the attendance good, the punctuality is good, professional attitude. They got to be enthusiastic about being there, you know, not like, oh, I'm tired because I was up playing video games all day. The big one that I stress to them is do your due diligence. If you have the soft skills to go, OK, I'm going to follow whatever I have in front of me until I literally hit a brick wall and then I'm going to ask the questions. People will respect you within a facility because they're, they're flat rate, they're busy, they have a lot going on. They don't mind you asking questions. They don't want you to pull in the door and the window's down and you're asking them what you think this check engine light's on for. You don't have a scan tool on it. You haven't looked at any data. You didn't take a snapshot. You didn't look at service information. Don't start asking questions yet. Do your due diligence. And I think if we can get that, those major ones that they're safe and, and they can do all those other things, we hit a home run for the first eight weeks. And we're good. I have so enjoyed this conversation. I love the portfolio class, Dave. That's a great idea. Dave, that is just brilliant. And then, Vinny, as you were speaking, I started to think about emulating their mentor. Yeah. And we discussed that, quite honestly. Like we have sit downs and listen, our mentors, I'm telling you, they're some of the best people I've ever worked with. They're doing it for the right reasons and they do a fantastic job. And what we try to do is they do get moved around sometimes, some facilities. It, it really depends on the management style of, of the people that they're dealing with, how the facilities run and the team structures and the scheduling of those team structures. So there's some different things that depend on this, but sometimes I, I actually, most of the time, I like them to be with a couple of different people because they're taking strengths and weaknesses. They're kind of seeing the differences between people and then they're creating the best person that they could be, not trying to be a carbon copy of, of Mike or Jim or whoever they're with, 
they're going to be the best person that they can be by taking all the good from those people. I love it. And and I think one of the takeaways for me from this episode, as far as the mentor, is that we need to get to our mentors and we need to say, listen, you've got a more significant role than you think. And of course, the individual comes to you. But when you see that there could be some roughness and you need to get your sandpaper out and sand down one of those tough points, then you as a mentor need to help that individual with learning and managing soft skills and, you know, the whole people, the communication piece. Guys, I loved this. Thank you for coming on the show. Both of you guys have the equal positions, one 450 miles away from the other, both in the New York State school system and the uniqueness of not only the community, but in your programs are the same, but they're a little different. And I guess that's the creativity of what the leadership and the different you know communities are. So thank you for being here, Dave Mockhold, Assistant Dean, Academic Chair, Suffolk Community College, part of the State University of New York system, along with Vinnie Laverde, Academic Chair of Erie Community College in Western New York. Go into these schools, talk to guys like Vinnie and Dave, put your business, your career, your world on the line and help our students stay in school, learn more and be gainfully employed when they're all done. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Carl. Thank you, Carl. Thanks for being involved. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.